Hello, hockey fans, and welcome to the Vegas Hockey Podcast. Once again, this is Mark Warner, my co-host, Chris Lisa, as always. Thank you for tuning in. We got a real good episode tonight. Chris is going to... He's got some news to share, first of all. He's been he's been banging the door down here trying to get this out. So uh, we mentioned a couple episodes ago that uh, the Get Real Hockey, what Chris was writing for, had unfortunately ceased operations. And we've been looking for another outlet for Chris and his writing. And I think we've got some good news to share tonight, Chris. Yeah, I'm still writing for the Hockey Writers, uh, thehockeywriters.com on the New York Islanders, and I hope to have a... Uh, the next couple, few days, uh, three, four days, I have a great new article on them. Um, I'm kind of excited about it, and that's all I'll say about it for now. But uh, uh, I have joined the lastwordonsports.com NHL team. Again, that's lastwordonsports.com. You can follow them on Twitter at lastwordonsport. Uh, I have a couple uh, started up with them, I guess, about right into the new year. So I have two articles already up. One on NHL parody uh, was my first, and ironically, my second article uh, was on the NHL's most disappointing team, uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets. Which Apropos, I think we'll be talking about one. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and actually, I'm working on a my next article, which is going to go from the most disappointing team to one of the most overachieving teams, the New Jersey Devils. So, I hope everyone checks out. Uh, there's also a lot of other great writers at the last word on sports.com. So hope you come find me and, uh, that will be all NHL, uh, topics. And I'm still at the hockey writer. So have no fear. You enjoy re- reading my articles on the Islanders. They will still be there as well. So what did you do? Flip a coin between the ducks and the Columbus blue jackets for most disappointing team. Is that how you come up with that article? Well, it, it came up because really it was a, a kind of a two year thing. You know, they were, uh, uh, just to tease it a little bit, they were a team that, uh, you know, a couple of years ago had a great first-round series, uh, very tough, lost to the Penguins six. Kind of reminded me of the Islanders uh, losing the Penguins the year before. Uh, everyone expected really big things. Uh, this is last year now, going into last year. Uh, I saw a lot of predictions of NHL insiders, experts, prognosticators, uh, having the Blue Jackets get to the Eastern Conference Finals last year. Got off to the bad start, injuries, yada, 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 and they finished strong, and obviously they had a brand new this offseason. So to me, they've been kind of an interesting story looking at them going back two and a half years now of, you know, since that final horn sounded, it looked like really great days were ahead. Uh, since that, that loss to the Penguins in Game 6, it's really been just a struggle, turmoil. So there's been a lot of things going on, so... I was, uh, to me, a far more, you know, and obviously, you know, new coaching, Tortorella. So it was a lot more interesting uh, things going on, you know, the Ryan Johansson contract uh, uh, negotiations, uh, not this past summer, but the summer before. So there's been a lot going on with the Blue Jackets, whereas the Ducks are, uh, you know, they just can't score this year. I mean, yeah, God bless John real. Gibson. I don't know how many, one, I don't know how many one nothing games he can win, but, uh, um, so yeah, well, enough to get him in the All Star game. And uh, he won enough to get him in the All Star yeah. game. Him and Quick are representing the Pacific Division. So um, I will say this though, uh, pat you on the back though. We were doing our pre- uh, the season preview show, and uh, I had Columbus going a little bit higher, maybe maybe edging into that that wild card spot. But 
you were not convinced that their finish last year had any bearing on what kind of team they were and you had them struggling again and and you hit the nail right on the head with that one so i give you your props on that it's one of the few predictions i got right i think but uh yeah, no, uh, it, it, not that it, it means you can't, it can't carry over, but it, it doesn't mean it automatically will. And I still was not sold on their blue line. No, for and, sure. Um, and obviously, obviously a lot of other things have, have happened uh, along the way besides their blue line. So, um, yeah, so well, and it's hard to believe that right as of now, I believe they have the worst record in the NHL. So, I mean, I think you've got a pretty good odds in Vegas on that one. So yeah, for real. Well, let me let me welcome in our guest. We've got Cam Hasbrook. He's a hockey writers contributor for the Boston or for the Boston Bruins content over there. Uh, Cam, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on tonight. Thanks for having me on, guys. I'm looking forward to it. No, fantastic. Thank you for coming in. Um, you can find him at Cam Hasbrook on Twitter and also over at the Hockey Writers. Um, let's uh, let's just. Go right around the league here. We've got, uh, fortunately enough, we had to scrap our entire first segment today. Uh, I think between 1 o'clock and 4 o'clock, three, uh, let's say a large, a medium, and a small deal uh, went down. So we're going to start right off. Seth Jones for Ryan Johansson. Chris was just talking about the Columbus Blue Line he wasn't sold on. and they. I mean, obviously... Landing a number one D man uh, with a nine hundred fifty thousand dollar cap hit uh, at I guess twenty years old I think uh, certainly bolsters your blue line quite a bit. Well, uh, did you get a chance to look at that trade yet, Cam? What do you think of that? How'd that go down? Yeah, I did. It's, it's definitely interesting. I mean, you've got two young guys, and the whole situation between Columbus and Johansson was was almost just kind of embarrassing. I mean, I was watching some some stuff on NHL Network a few weeks back, and they were showing some Johansson highlights. And, uh, I mean, some of the stuff that was on there, it just looked like he didn't want to be there. For sure. Uh, you know, it looked like the might league hockey players where, you know, their parents are making them play and, you know, they hate <laughs> it. But, uh, you know, at the same time, when you've got a guy who clearly has talent and a lot of it and has the ability to, to really be a, a game changer. Uh, I mean, you've got two really young guys, obviously one center and one defenseman. And uh, they're kind of similarly sized. Johansson 6'3", uh, Jones is 6'4", Johansson 2'18", and, and 208, and they're actually both picked fourth overall, just three years apart. But uh, it's, it's, it's definitely interesting. I mean, you've got Johansson going over to uh, Nashville, and he's got some, some serious ability to put in points when he works. I mean, the guy's got 193 points in 309 games. That's tough to do with a young guy. He's still only 23, like I said. Yeah, no but kidding. But then on the flip side of that, you've got, you've got Jones, who's put in 63 and 199 as a defenseman. So, I mean, it's, it's definitely going to be interesting to see how this works out for both sides. It's like that, uh, just a good old-fashioned hockey trade. Um, no, no bells and whistles. No, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I got to eat half your cap hit, this and that. It's just a straight-up hockey deal. And... Uh, Kind of interesting, and I mean, since you're the Bruins uh, contributor, wasn't Sagan traded in his third year with the Bruins? Yeah, uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, the the Sagan trade is still something that's that's hotly discussed in uh, in Boston. Right. I mean, uh, you know, looking back, it's definitely tough to swallow. I mean, not that not that Louis Erickson and company haven't been good in Boston, but uh, you know. It's, you can definitely see that Tyler Sagan is butting into an all-star player and, and maybe even a franchise player. I mean, especially with the success that Dallas has had this year, 
uh, him alongside Jamie Benn and stuff. It's just sure. hard to hard to swallow that as a Bruins fan. But uh, you know, it's still it's still uh, it's still all right. We'll we'll figure out how it goes. But well, I'm looking at at, at your uh, your stats today. Isn't isn't Erickson number two scorer on the team this year? It certainly he's not yeah, in Tyler so Sagan Erickson, category, but he's right there. Yeah, Erickson, uh, Erickson, you don't mind me jumping in this quick. I, I kind of had an interesting experience with him. When he first came over to Boston in his first season, I wasn't too sure. I hadn't seen too much of him down in Dallas. And my initial impression with him was that he just didn't really fit the Bruins system. I found him at first to kind of be a little weak on the puck. I, I didn't think he was fit the, the big bad Bruins. You know, they'll use that cliche there. But I thought he was a little bit weak on the puck. But uh, I have to say that that that, uh, that went away pretty quickly. I, I found him to be a pretty solid point getter. Uh, I do think he's a lot harder. I think he's he's become stronger with Boston. And uh, like you said, yeah, he's he's putting up points for the Bruins. I mean, the guy's got twenty points in, or, sorry, thirty four points in uh, thirty eight games this year. Right. And uh, he's a, he's a solid solid boy there. Well, so, as- I mean. To, to tell your point on that, as far as two-way play, he leads your forwards with a plus nine. Yeah. Second yeah, on the yeah, team overall. To, value, especially. Yeah, for sure. It's a little, you know, he, he playing in Dallas, and I see him a lot in the Western Conference. Uh, he, he, you know, he scores a lot with Dallas because their system wasn't, um, let's say, defensively oriented for a long time. Um, yeah. But, but he always struck me as a responsible player obviously more offensive than defensive but yeah the only guy on your team with uh, a higher plus minus is big big Zidane Ochara there with a plus 10 so that leads to mm-hmm. your, that leads to your point Chris what do you think of that deal well I, you know it's funny again I, in the Blue Jacket article I wrote uh, the last part of it was where the Blue Jackets go from here and I mentioned how about that blue line how I personally felt uh, they did not have a, you know, a top four defenseman on their squad. They have a bunch of, you know, decent defensemen, and maybe a, you know, uh, maybe they have one or two guys you classify as that number four second pairing. But uh, I'm not sold on that. So I, I thought Johansson being moved uh, for a front line defenseman to get a Seth Jones. I mean, uh, I think it's a terrific trade for Columbus. I feel. I know both teams got what they're looking to do. Nashville's going for it. They got a dynamic uh, offensive player. I uh, think Cam hit it on the head. The potential to be a game changer. At times, he has been a game changer. Um, but there's been some bumps along the way. Um, and then when you look at his contract as well, he signed through next season. And I believe he's an RFA for one more year, I believe. So... There's a little bit of shorter window with him, and then, yeah, obviously, to get him re-signed, he comes through, is going to be very expensive, whereas, you know, I feel very confident that this is really going to work out well for Columbus. Uh, this could be a home run for Nashville, or this could be a trade that they kind of regret. So, uh, with Seth Jones being in Columbus for the next 10 years. So, um, if I was a Blue Jackets fan, I would love this trade. If I was a Predators fan, I would say I get it, but I'm going to wait and see. Well, kind of on the yeah, I agree with that. Go ahead, Cam. No, I, say, I agree with that wholeheartedly. I mean, like you said, uh, you know, Johansson's got one more year left on his contract after this, so I mean, you got to kind of wait it out as a Nashville fan. you got to wait it out to the end of that year because 
if he does become too expensive to sign, you might be kicking yourself a little bit because, sure, it might be a good trade for the next year, but after that, if they lose him, then they just lost also a very young person yeah. in Seth Jones who's, who's budding. So it's, it's definitely going to be one of those wait-and-see things. Well, if they can get him re-signed... They, 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 yeah, they will have Johansson. They have him, obviously, the rest of this year. And I don't have it totally in front of me. This is going based on from what I've heard. Uh, but uh, he is signed for next year, and then my understanding is he will be an RFA for one more year, so they can lock him up at that point if they so choose, or he might just want to go the one year around, and I believe the year after that. So they have him for the rest of this year, at least, and the two following years. So um, it's not like he's, you know, they have, they're going to lose him in the next year or so. I mean, they're going to have him for the rest of the season and two more, or at least. Right. So, um, but um, like I said, his inconsistency, the whole contract squabble, you know, it was funny. We talked about it over the summer, Mark, when they brought in Brandon Saad, and after the summer before, and he, Brandon Saad was here, and I get it. I, I'm a big Brandon Saad fan. Uh, he's won two Stanley Cups. He's produced at the highest level. But I, 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 I just wondered out loud after the summer before with the kind of contract talk that Johansson publicly had with the organization and both sides now, not just him. And then here's Son, who comes in, gets traded in within a week or so of getting traded in. Oh, here's your six-year deal for, you know, $36 million or oh, uh, whatever it was, six, six and a half million a year. And, you know, Ant's like, well, I've kind of helped put this franchise where it's at. So I, I wonder how that would make him feel, you know, uh, you know, the new employee gets the, all those roses and stuff. So, um, but, you know, look, Columbus has to be, I, I was a Blue Jackets fan, I'd be absolutely thrilled. Yeah, and and on the Blue Jackets side of that, Johansson was coming off his entry level deal. You, there's very few players who are going to go six, seven million dollars after, a, you know, finishing their three year entry level deal with an, with RFA status. The, the club has all all the power in that negotiation. You're not going to. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't. He didn't seem to realize that. He he, right. he saw what a lot of he he saw what a lot of players in their thirties. Uh, and nothing against these kind of players. Um, although one of them is having a great year, Mike Camilleri, but the Matt Molsons, the Mark Stripes, the Andy McD- Andrew McDonald, I'm naming all like founders here, uh, the Mike Camilleri's, and he said, well, wait a minute, you know, uh, where's mine? You know, where's my, uh, where's my big deal? And it's like, well, those were, those guys hit unrestricted free agents. You were still a restricted free agent. It's almost like he wanted to get paid like an unrestricted free agent. Yeah. Well, let's, let's pick this up after that. the break. Let's pick this up after the break. We'll be right back. Hello, hockey fans, and thanks for listening to the Vegas Hockey Podcast. Make sure you check out all our episodes on SoundCloud, iTunes, and HockeyTalkRadio.us, the Internet's first 24-hour day, seven-day-a-week, all-hockey-talk-radio format streaming station. Check it out. And we're back from the break. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to the show. We always appreciate it. Uh, we were just finishing up on the the Johansson Seth Jones trade. Um, pretty much covered everything there is covered. One thing about that for <coughs> ooh, excuse me, um, getting over a cold. The Predators that pushes Ribeiro back to a second line center, pushes Fisher back to a third line center. Probably more suited to each of their games. Um, 
there. And we had Dan Mount on the podcast talking Predators hockey a couple weeks ago, and that was the one one of the main topics that we talked about him with was if they were going to uh, move a piece to try and get some more scoring. Um, we talked about some some of the young kids that they have coming up that are that are impressing the Predators brass, if you will. But uh, I'll tell you what, Seth Jones' name never came up. <laughs> So that that's uh, kind of a shocker, really. But and then more news today: the the Kings and Flyers completed a trade, sending Vinny Lecavier, Luke Shin to L.A. and Flyers retaining fifty percent of each of their contracts, and shipping out Jordan Wheel, who's a kind of a smaller, uh, skilled speed guy who really wasn't. He's been up with the Kings this year, but only got in a handful of games. Not really suited to the Daryl Sutter type system. And a third-round pick going to the Flyers. Uh, Chris, what's your thoughts on that one? I know where I stand on it. I kind of like the deal. Yeah, I mean, look, it's a, you know, they're going for it. They have a great chance in the Western Conference. It's going to be tough sledding. Um, they're obviously going to win the Pacific Division. Um, they added, you know, to me, too, you know, they're going to have Luke Shen to, uh, to improve their third-pairing uh, defense or give them more depth. Uh, they're going to have Vinny LeCavier in a different way to be a role player, as we're going to talk about Mike Richards soon, for the Kings to give them a little more um, secondary scoring, maybe get some of them power playtime, uh, veteran, former Stanley Cup winner, put them in that locker room. So um, uh, from a salary cap standpoint, like you said, the Flyers are picking up half the contracts. Shen's UFA at season's end, and LeCavier announced that the, his agents announced this could be the last season. And per Dave Isaac of USA Today, right before coming on the show, is reading his article, which was just posted, uh, that there will be no salary cap uh, implications for either the Flyers or the Kings after the season. So I don't really see the downside. Um, you know, they gave him a third-round pick. That has value. And Mark, you can uh, speak uh, more to... Uh, uh, Mr. Wheel's ability, but it, it sounds like he could be a nice role player. So, um, you know, to me, and uh, I, I, I think it's a thumbs up for the King. Well, for, the, the only negative I could uh, could possibly come up with is if a big player uh, were to become available in a trade, let's say a Dustin Bufflin type, whose uh, whose cap number is escaping me, but I think it's in the five million. I, I, it's escaping me, but he's I think it's five seven. Number. Yeah, is it? Okay, five seven. So, would this trade hamper them to be able, if an opportunity came up, to add a Buffalo or add another player? Um, you know, because uh, there has been some Buffalo to the Kings rumors uh, last month or so. So that that could be that would be the only thing. But I'm sure Dean Lombardi uh, is he is very uh, he's able to get deals done. So I I, I wouldn't put anything past him. I, I wouldn't think that. It's going to lock him in. I wouldn't say that a, a Bufflin's a UFA at the end of the season, and with Winnipeg looking like they're probably not going to be in the playoffs, when you're in a seller, you know, you, when you're in a seller mode like that, and the player's a UFA, historically, even for a player of Bufflin's caliber, you're not going to get equal value in return. You're just dumping salary and trying to get some assets back. So don't don't count that one out yet. But two two things on this this deal uh 
for the Kings' perspective, Dean Lombardi said today that one thing LeCavier does, they've the one weakness I've seen on the team so far this year is third and fourth line centers. The Kings have been playing two rookies with Nick Shore and Andy, Andy Andrioff. And what Dean Lombardi says, it allows the Kings to be more patient with their young centers, which, you know, read that to mean one of them's going back to Ontario in the, in the AHL to get more playing time. Um, and the veteran veteran leadership at the center position is something that's a pretty much trademark of the Dean Lombardi era there in Los Angeles. And Jordan wheel wasn't ever going to fit where his, where his skill set is, is in the top six. And with Gabbert, Kopitar, Toffoli, Carter, Pearson, uh, there's not a spot for him to play top six in Los Angeles. So then when you, when you shuffle an undersized player down third, fourth line minutes against the opposition that a third, fourth line player plays against, it just, it's not a fit. Um, so it, with Philly, I think he could probably get in some of those, get some power play time. Uh, and probably, you know, you mentioned Mike Camilleri. That's another kind of undersized goal scoring player that the Kings let get away. Um, I'm not saying he's going to be a 50-goal scorer like Camilleri, but he could probably get 20 to 25, I think, in the right system. And uh, the old fighting, fighting Sioux Notre Dame hockey there in Philadelphia now. Uh, not Notre Dame. What am I saying? North Dakota. I saw the ND. Um, he, he could probably get 20 to 25 if he gets his minutes over there. What do you what do you think about that one, Cam? Well, you know, I think uh, you mentioned it briefly, but a, a big part of this deal is the fact that the Flyers are eating fifty percent of these salaries. Absolutely. I mean, certainly the Cavalier isn't making as much as he used to, but he's still in the last year with twenty two and a half million dollar contract. So there's still money being transferred there, and uh, you know, the Kings being able to only eat fifty percent of that is pretty nice for them. And like you said, you know, the Cavalier isn't isn't a hundred goal scorer or a hundred point getter anymore. He's not going to put up 70, 80, 90 like he used to. But similar to Richards, which we'll get to after, he, he is a, a role player, and he's got a lot of experience on good teams. The guy's been to the playoffs, what, six times now? So he's got the experience on a team now that is definitely headed to the playoffs. We talked about the Kings pretty much being a lock, and, you know, they're a good team in a terrible division. So, you know, if they didn't make the playoffs at this point, it would be just beyond tragic. I think I'd lose so, my mind. I mean, they, <laughs> yeah, I, I would too. Strange things have happened, but uh, you got to pencil them in at least, at least in a wild card spot in the West. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if they don't win the division right now, then something is seriously wrong. Yeah, I mean, the, the division is brutal. You get three teams down, and you already get a five hundred team pretty much. So, I mean, it's it's ridiculous how brutal the Pacific Division is, Absolutely. is this year, but. I mean, the Kings are still a good team, and, and to be honest with you, they're one of my favorite teams to watch. Uh, I, I wouldn't say that they, they aren't my favorite West Coast team. I mean, when they uh, when they made that Stanley, or the two Stanley Cup runs, really, I felt that they were just a team that was obviously hard to beat, but just they, you couldn't really knock them out of anything. I feel like they were a team that just had their confidence, even if they were down a ton. I felt like they were a team that could come back. I feel like uh, that they were a team... Obviously, this is going to an extreme here, but you could be down 10 goals going to the third period in the elimination game, and they'd be totally calm and somehow come back to win it. I feel like they're just a tough team to beat, especially when it comes to playoff time, Yeah, which is just super valuable. I think and, you nailed uh, you know, it. Adding a guy, 
Yeah, and the guy who's a role player like Atalier, who who's still going to produce. It's not like he's not going to score for the team. He's still a, a very talented player, but he's got so much experience that it can do nothing but good things for the Kings right now. Yeah, when you add a Stanley Cup and a former captain to your locker room, it's not a bad thing at all. <laughs> never. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> never. I'm on, I'm on board, and uh, you know, like the like the Luchich deal where you guys took fifty. I think it's fifty percent of his salary. Yeah. Um, is still yeah. on the books there in Boston too. So that's, you know, we were right up against the cap. I still have to look at the numbers to figure out how uh, a guy on a two-way deal like Jordan Wheel ends up turning into Luke Shen and Vinny LeCavier numbers-wise. But uh, Dean Lombardi, in the past, he's proven he's a man, man. Uh, and Dean we trust in Los Angeles as far as that goes. Um, and then, you know, one more. one more. Go ahead. I was going to say, I'll tell you what, he knows how to save money. Absolutely, and it's a it's a it's a shame to me that he has has yet to win a uh, general manager executive of the year uh, in any of these last five years. I mean, the deals he's done to bring in Carter, the Richards deal, Gabrick, um, still be under the cap, still lock up the Kopitars, uh, hopefully the Dowdies, the Quicks, the Browns. To uh, I mean, they're all signed through twenty 2020, twenty 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 one. And that's so hard mm-hmm. to do in the salary cap era. You see Chicago win the cup and, you know, th- three, four years ago, they had to jettison, you know, the Bufflins of the world. And then uh, they had to retool last year and let Sharp and Oduya go. Um, so I, I, I think Dean Lombardi is one of the best general managers in the game myself. Just for, put, keeping a core together in the salary cap era is almost proving too much for a lot of general managers in the league. Um so an- another Dean Lombardi, and you know Philly's got to be happy with that end of it too. They could pick up a, a real young scoring forward, and uh, at the end of the year they get those contracts off the book, gives them some freedom to make some some deals, maybe at, on draft day or in free agency next year, and and start rebuilding that squad. So Philly guys got to be happy with that deal too, I would think. Anyway, uh, the other deal of the day, kind of a smaller, might fly under the radar once you get Johansson for Seth Jones on the headlines. Um, Richard signs in Washington. Uh, obviously another Kings player. He was bought out due to whatever troubles he was in on the Canadian border and whatever uh, declining numbers in his cap hit didn't match anymore or whatever. I'm, I'm an unabashed Mike Richards fan. I don't think the Kings win either of their cups without him. Um uh, that's just one more piece that Washington can can notch the third, fourth line center, help their penalty kill for sure. He's going to up the compete level and, and nothing but praise out of the Kings organization for him as a locker room leader. So, uh, guys, I'll let you have at that one. But I, I, I think one year what prorated $1 million deal to bring Richards in to a team that looks like they're going to make a run at the Eastern Conference title this year, uh, nothing but good for Washington, I would think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's really no loss here. I mean, even if he doesn't turn out to be, you know, a huge player for them, they're they're really not giving up too much. One year for a million dollars, like in the NHL, we'll take that. Especially for a guy that's got eight years of playoff experience. And sure, he hasn't played for a year, so he might be a little rusty coming off. But, I mean, he's definitely got the ability to put up points, and he's a solid all-around player. So, you know, I don't think there's really much of a gamble going on here with a one-year, one-million-dollar contract. No, and he's got his buddy from the Kings, Justin Williams, on the roster there. Maybe if he needs to be kept in check a little bit, maybe uh, maybe he'll be just the guy to do it. Uh, Chris Chris made a good point too. We're you know hitting to the All Star break, so you sign him up, get him down to the AHL, uh, get him some conditioning stints, bring him up after the All Star break. 
all-star break and uh, make a run for the East. I think uh, I think that it just get, puts them deeper down the middle, which, um, man, they're already a scary team, but now you bring his grit and maybe replace a little bit of what Brower, Brower took with him. Um, man, that's a good-looking club in Washington. Chris? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I think it hit in the nail on the head. Uh, I think they got deeper. They got more experienced. Um, you know, he's he's you know he'll chip in a couple points, but he's there to, to play. You know, good good defensive forward. PK. Um, he's played in uh, a lot of a ton of big games. Um, it's just a perfect fit. And the last point I would make is, you know, the Capitals. Uh, no pun intended. Don't have a lot of cap space, so. Uh, it's very hard for me to see them making a signature move by the trade deadline. Uh, by the trade deadline of adding a big player because they're literally on top of figuring out a trade talent for talent. They're going to have to almost do it dollar for dollar. So uh, any moves that they were going to do to improve the team would be these kind of moves. And you know, like I said, there is no downside here uh, whatsoever. So um, yeah, it's a. Uh, it, it, uh, the Capitals got just a little bit more uh, tougher to deal with today. Uh, I got to totally agree with that. Well, uh, we got about a minute left before the break. News out of Boston or the, from the NHL player safety today. Zach Sill gets a little two games off for uh, what I will say is an egregious hit on McQuaid there. Real quick in about 40 seconds. What do you think of the hit and did you think it was enough of a penalty? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was definitely scary to watch. Uh, you know, McQuaid was down there motionless for a little while, and he was he was pretty much out. So it's scary to watch that happen to anybody. Um, you know, it's it's sad that there couldn't be a penalty on the play uh, during the game, but at least the NHL did something. I mean, uh, I, I think it's a pretty fair. Maybe, you know, you could have probably gone a little bit harsher on him. It was a pretty brutal hit. But, uh, you know, at least they pinned him on something because that was just a scary, scary event last night. Yeah, I didn't know there wasn't a penalty called on the play. How could you miss that? Yeah, that's that's pretty tough to miss. It was kind of right there. So, All right, well, let's get into know. it after the break, and uh, we'll go all Boston Bruins. Hello, hockey fans, and thanks for listening to the Vegas Hockey Podcast. Make sure you check out all our episodes on SoundCloud, iTunes, and HockeyTalkRadio.us, the Internet's first 24-hour day, seven-day-a-week, all-hockey-talk radio format streaming station. Check it out. All right, hockey fans, we're back for segment three. Finally, there's so much news today. We burned up burned up two segments here, and we haven't even really hit on the, any too much Boston Bruins talk, Cam. So we're we're gonna throw this one at you. We were just talking about the play last night. Uh, all, all kind of things wrong with it, and I didn't know that there was not a penalty called on the play. But you touched on uh, touched on uh, Ronaldo was was right there and kind of skated away from it when that I mean that's supposed to be his role I didn't see uh I didn't see Zach still pay any price on the ice for that hit uh am I wrong with that or no no you're you're absolutely right and uh, I'll go right on here on record and saying that I did not like the Zach Ronaldo signing I really don't think I understand that the Bruins lost some some great pieces when they dealt away Leon Lucic and you know losing Gregory Campbell and Daniel Pye at the end of the season they lost some great players but I, I never really liked the uh, the Ronaldo hit, and uh, I'll tell you what, if there was never a time for him to be useful was last night. I mean, that was just a brutal hit, really, on McQuaid. And uh, Ronaldo was really the closest one there, and he didn't do anything. 
he kind of turned away and let it go. And, and the fact that Patrice Bergeron was the guy that had to go over there and grab a load of sill. I mean, you know, Bergeron's not the guy that's going to throw it on the gloves and start punching because that's Ronaldo's job. Right. And if I call Julian after that play, I'm turning to him and saying, come on, like, this is the exact reason that we got you. We need you to toughen up, protect our guys. And, you know, sure, McQuaid isn't an all-star player, but when you see one of your teammates get hit like that, Anybody, and you're, yeah. uh, uh, you know, a guy like Zach Ronaldo especially, you've got to be doing something about that. Now, I'll, I'll give him a little bit of credit. He did try to dance with him later on the game. And, of course, you know, still didn't want anything to do with that. But later in the game is not the time. And you no. see that kind of hit. That's you right got to get on him. and you gotta, you got to make him know, you know, that that's not okay. So, I mean, if I'm Claude Julian, and even just being a Bruins fan and a Bruins writer, that's, that's tough to watch seeing Ronaldo, who is supposed to be stepping in and dealing with this kind of stuff. Just seeing him turn away from that is, is tough to watch. Yeah, that touches on another point, and I've made it on a few shows before. Um, the 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 dwindling role of the John Scotts in the league is something that I think lends itself to hits like that being made. The lack of respect for any retaliation coming your way, and I would love to have you know Pacific Division All Star Captain John Scott on the roster just for yeah. just for that reason. Oh, yeah. uh, he, uh, you know, kudos to Arizona fans for uh, stepping up and being counted there. By the way, uh, yeah, that's hilarious. Yeah, hey, hey, they. You know what? They could have voted Chris Pronger in too. He's on their roster. You know why not? <laughs> yeah, really. They should have gone the whole nine yards and gone for it. But yeah, absolutely. But uh, no, I, I, I just think that there is a role for for those types of players in the National Hockey League. I, I know that the it's, it's moving more away from the fighting, blah blah blah. And the staged fights, whatever, I get it. But to have someone on your team, just even if they get two or three minutes a night or a healthy scratch against, you know, teams that, that you don't think you might need them with, that that itself is the deterrent. It's not the two-minute instigator. It's not the five minutes or any of the nonsense that the league is trying to do. It's having George LaRock or George Peros or freaking Probert sitting on the end of the bench. Uh, no one lit up Iserman like that. I'll tell you what. Yeah. Uh, I I just I'd like to see more more on ice instant retaliation. Uh, and may, maybe I'm old school, but that's that's how I feel about it. When you have someone on your roster who's there to do that and they're not around, uh, I don't know. Shame on you, Ronaldo. Step up next time, buddy. Come on. Yeah, I mean that's exactly what they got him for, and he just stood there and lost. So it's it's tough to swallow as a Bruins fan, and especially because. On just the brutality of the hit. I mean, uh, as I said during the break, there McQuaid was on the ice motionless for a, little, for a few seconds. There it was scary, you know, seeing a guy just totally out there. So clearly he was injured, and clearly it was a brutal hit. So you know, why Ronaldo didn't step in there and you know give him one for his money is, is beyond me. No, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I mean, that's that was the classic middle of the numbers, elbow to the neck, uh, face face to the glass with every and. Didn't didn't let up. Took, took skated right into it. Um, just just that's the video you show everybody in camp that these aren't the hits that you do anymore. Like what I was saying off the air, uh, this isn't what what the the National Hockey League. And then I I I think two games is light for that. I don't know if Sills a repeat offender. They always take you know first time offender and and player injuries into account when they hand out the penalties. So I don't know if Sills a repeat offender. That would be interesting to interesting to know. But uh, that could have been a five gamer for sure. 
Yeah, I mean, there's definitely some inconsistency with the NHL handing out suspensions. And, uh, you know, this was a big-name guy like, you know, Sidney Crosby or Alex Ovechkin. Not to say that they'd make these kind of hits, but it would be, you know, at least easy to understand because people, you know, pay to see those guys play. Yeah. Nobody's paying here to see Zach Sill play hockey. I mean... <laughs> You know nothing against him, but he's not a—he's not the face of the franchise. He's not Ovechkin, right? Not guys like you know Alex Ovechkin and and uh, you know T.J. Oshie and stuff. And you know, just there's just really no reason not to to punish him. I mean, two game suspension is, is pretty light on that on a hit that is like you said is just is a perfect don't do this video to show to new guys. I yeah. Mean, well, let's just, go back earlier in the year. We have on. a we have a repeat offender with Rafi Torres. And uh, I think he got 25 yeah. games, right? Yeah, I mean, they threw him out for, for you know, half a season. And yeah. now, you know, this is pretty much... Close to the same hit, I think. Out of the hit and they give him two games. Yeah, I mean, it's a really similar hit. And, uh, you know, obviously, Rafi Torres has a, has a pretty good uh, reputation there. But, sure. I mean, you still want to see consistency because, you know, how many, who cares how many times you've done it before? A dangerous hit is a dangerous hit, and especially when yeah. it leads to an injury as, uh, as as scary as McQuaid's was last night. Just to see him walk away with two games, I mean, it's it's brutal. Well, let's uh, let's go back here to let's go back to Shirelli leaving and draft day in in Bruin Nation. What uh, what was going on the 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 week before the draft and the draft? <laughs> And uh, how did Bruin Nation respond to that? I know what I saw on Twitter, but you're, you you got the pulse of it. Uh, how was that received at first? Yeah, I mean, uh, it was it was a wild offseason to be uh, someone who follows the Bruins. I mean, you know, missing the playoffs is, is brutal for a team that's had the success that they've had. But, uh, you know, you look, obviously the best thing you do after that is, you know, go into the offseason and, and prepare yourself to, to come back swinging next year. And uh, headed into draft day, there was a lot of a lot of talk about what the Bruins were going to do. You didn't really know exactly what was going down, but I mean, they were pretty much at the headlines at NHL.com for a while there. So, uh, you know, they they make that Milan Lucic trade, and uh, they get the draft picks. It looks like they're moving up. Draft day comes. They're they're really just at the center of attention the entire time because, you know, I was sitting there watching the TV and just expecting to see Bruins up in the in the top few picks there. Not that they were going to get you know, a run at Connor McDavid or Jack Eichel or anything. But, you know, from the sound of it, they were trying to get up there and, and maybe bump Arizona out, trying to get Noah Hannafin and something like that, which was right. you know, even more exciting, you know, him being a Boston College player and all. Sure. So, uh, you know, I'll, I'll be blatantly honest here. I think the Bruins expected more. I think, uh, you know, Don Sweeney and uh, and company thought that they could do more out of it. And, uh, you know, it just it didn't work out. So, uh, I, I do think, however, that it's too early to call it a loss. I think a lot of the Bruins fans said, you know, well, that sucks, quite frankly, and, uh, you know, we really took the loss on that one. But I think it is too early because, you know, you've got three first-round draft picks, and, you know, draft order doesn't necessarily always associate with what's going to come on after that. For sure. You know, they've, they've got three very talented players in Yako Zaboro, uh, Jake DeBrusque, and Zachary Senishin. I mean, it's, it's definitely too early to call it a loss. Sure, they're not going to be guys that are going to be like Jack Reichel or Connor McDavid that are going to step right in and have an immediate impact on the team. But they still are solid players, and, you know, you've you got to wait a few years and, and see what they do because it's, you know, these are guys that are still developing, still budding into their talent. And, uh, 
you know, it's just too early to call that a loss. You look at Jakobsen Boyle, for example, uh, just got some, some interesting experience out in the, uh, in the World Junior Championship, and he got to play alongside David Pasternak, who was out there doing some recovery after his injury. And uh, so, you know, getting to play with a future teammate, uh, he actually set up Pasternak for his first goal. That nice. was a pretty cool storyline. But yeah. I think it's too early to call that a loss because, you know, you don't really know how they're going to play out yet. I mean, you've got three guys that have, you know, really strong potential. And, you know, any of these guys could be a, a solid uh, a solid player down the line. I mean, you know, the Bruins haven't even had success in the past with uh, with later round guys. Not, I mean, these are still 13, 14, 15 draft overall. But, I mean, you look at Brad Marchand, for example, who's become really one of the faces of Bruins franchise, despite the fact that he's suspended for a stupid hit. But, uh, I mean, he was a third-round draft pick. So, you know, obviously, not that they weren't expecting anything out of a third-round draft pick, but you know, he wasn't a first-round guy, and yet he's top four for points for the Bruins this season. So, I mean, it's definitely too early to call it a loss. Right now, it's a little bit tough to swallow, seeing a guy like Lucic go and uh, not getting an immediate return out of it. But, you know, all hope is not lost on that. No, but then you guys do... Can if... I just jump in real quick, quick uh, with a quick comment, Mark? Sure. Uh, I know uh, the Islander fan base was very happy that the Bruins did not take Matthew Porcello. Yeah. Yeah. I knew you were going to go there, <laughs> for sure. Well, one thing, one thing too. You guys have uh, upcoming uh, number one pick out of that whole draft day trading because Martin Jones went to San Jose for a first round pick. So you still have theirs coming next year. Is that correct? Yeah. So they still even got more to work with. So, Absolutely. Like I said, it's definitely too early to call this a long term loss. Obviously, short term they probably didn't get what they wanted. And I think if, you know, Don Sweeney's telling you that he did, then he's lying to you because, you know, I don't imagine that this is his plan. But, you know, it's definitely too early to call it a bad move for the Bruins, uh, long-term at least. Well, we're, we're happy with uh, Lucic out here, in, out, out in Los Angeles. So, uh, he, yeah, er, yeah. early returns, you know, the first five or ten games he was still, and to be expected, they had him with Kopitar and that wasn't really working. And they moved him down to play with, uh, with Carter and, man, Everything we were hoping, we're, we're we're looking at the maybe not the 2010 2011 Lucic, but we're not looking at the 2014 Lucic either. He's he's uh, we're happy with that deal. Um, let me let me go yeah, to break. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, for, you got time. You can finish that thought. He, I think he's a great piece. Yeah. I love the trade. Yeah, absolutely. And he's going to be a guy that can work into the playoffs. I mean, he's obviously a really physical player, and for he's sure. a serious player. You know, you get into a deep seven-game series. He's going to be bashing bodies and scoring goals, which is, is important when you get to the playoffs. Because, 100%. You know, when you play a long series in the playoffs, you want to beat that other team up. And to have a player that has the ability to be so physical but still put up as many points as he does is going to be really special for the Kings. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. Well, let me cut this off. I'm getting uh, I'm getting some memory warnings here on my computer. So let me uh, let me work a little magic, guys, and we'll be right back. Hello, hockey fans, and thanks for listening to the Vegas Hockey Podcast. Make sure you check out all our episodes on SoundCloud, iTunes, and HockeyTalkRadio.us, the Internet's first 24-hour day, seven-day-a-week, all-hockey-talk radio format streaming station. Check it out.
All right, hockey fans, we're back from the break. Thank you. You guys, uh, we take we take these 15-minute segments because, as you guys know, we got picked up by HockeyTalkRadio.us, and they need to get in get in their money makers too and do their business. So thanks for thanks for putting up with the breaks right in the middle of the conversation. Sometimes I know it gets annoying even for Chris and myself, but uh, necessary necessary evil of the of the format there. So uh, anyway, back to Back to Bruins and draft day. You guys had a pretty good off-the-air chat there while we were getting ready to do this next segment. Uh, as far as Kyle Connor, Matthew Bartsall, and Thomas Konecki still being available at those spots and, and the Bruins going another direction, Chris, uh, you had a couple of good points on that one. Being the Islanders fan, yeah, you I are. <laughs> yeah, I, well, keep in mind, the Islanders at that point didn't have a pick in the first round. That's when they, 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 they talked with the Oilers and, and basically said, I don't know how much they believe. Uh, I don't know if they were board speakers, but basically said, "Look, if Brazil's there at 16, we'll trade you Griffin Reinhardt. You know, uh, we have to get you know and and get your early second round pick. But I, I mean, if if you export snow, it's sort of hard to that moment. Would Brazil be there after the Bruins had three selections? Um, I don't know what she would tell you, but um, yeah, again, and we have to be careful because we've seen it on many many drafts." Uh, I'll give you a case in point. A couple of years ago, uh, Cal Clutterbuck's had a tremendous year for the Islanders this year, but they got Cal Clutterbuck because it didn't work out with uh, Nino Niederreiter, who's been a pretty good player for a while. But Nino Niederreiter was, I want to say, about three or four years ago now with the fifth overall pick. You know, if you go back and look at that draft, uh, actually I was talking to a buddy of ours, uh, Matt Pryor, the other day, and I was saying to him, uh, one of the top five players of that first round of that draft was Brock Nelson, of also a first-round pick by the Islanders, who traded up to get the get Nelson with the 30th overall pick. I think there's maybe four players, I would say, in that draft, you would, in the first round, you would rank ahead of him, and he was picked last in the first round. So you never know what drafts, uh, but obviously trading a player, Hamilton's age, and, uh, and the whole package, uh, I'm sure. The, I know. I speak. Uh, you one would think they would have been able to get more, but I think at the end of the day, the books will all be balanced because they got so much in the trade for Lucic that uh, the Bruins are in, I think, a pretty good position going forward. Yeah. Well, if you like, like we were saying, if you add in the Martin Jones deal, then uh, picking up. Oh right. Pick picking up two first rounders. And three first round picks in a row uh, in the in 13, 14, 15. That's uh, something's got to work out out of that. I mean, <laughs> yeah, keep in mind that that could be a lottery pick this year. Yeah, that, that, for, that sure. Jones pick. for sure. For sure. So, so flash- yeah, exactly. That, that pick still got a chance to pay off this year. I mean, you never know what's coming with that too. So absolutely, it's it's still even coming back for the Bruins here. So so from the gloom and doom of that, and then with Dougie Hamilton leaving. Um, I remember tweeting out the Bruins lost their mind today was a tweet. I think I tweeted that word for word and then fast forward today. And then we did our, we did our, uh, our season preview show and I had a missing the playoffs. I didn't, I didn't think you could go through that much of a roster change and, and remain as consistent as they have been. Um, but now, now fast forward to today and they're holding down a playoff spot. Uh, so how do you how do you get from that day to today? And I, I haven't been able to watch too much Bruins hockey. So how, how what are they doing right? What are they what are they doing to 
you, we talked a little bit earlier about uh, kind of change of philosophy and getting more aggressive on the offensive end. Is is it that simple, or is there more to what's going on there? Yeah, I mean, it's never that crazy here for them. Uh, you know, you, you go back to the beginning of the year, and, and you know, they, they had that crazy offseason, but I, I still said I think there's a team that can get into the playoffs with a wild card spot. And, you know, maybe make a run for the top three of the division, but I, they're definitely a, a playoff bubble team. But I thought they did still have the depth to get in. And uh, <laughs> I had myself eating my words a little bit three games in the season when they started off on a three. But, uh, you know, the, the Bruins brass there says, look, this is something, you've got a, a roster overhaul. We're still a team that can compete, but it's going to take a little time. And, uh, you know, obviously that's something that, as a GM, you know, Don Sweeney has got to say when you're, you know, starting the season off 0-3. But, uh, you know, it's, it was tough to believe him at the time. But, I mean, you fast forward to now, and, and here they are in a playoff spot. And uh, even in a weirder situation now, because they had such a great month of, uh, of uh, November and December there, where they went on a streak and really climbed from a team that was fighting for a wild card spot in the top of the Atlantic Division. Uh, you know, they got within, I think, a point of Montreal with, uh, with three games in hand there when Montreal was, uh, was at the top of the division, which if you said that, you know, when the season started, you, you'd think you were crazy because, you know, Montreal went on that ridiculous start to the season, which right. I might add made it even more brutal to be a Bruins fan, <laughs> you know, the Canadians just killing it so much. And uh, it was almost like they switched places for the month of November and into December because the Canadians just seemed like they couldn't win a game. They had the issues of Kerry Price and, and Mike Condon wasn't playing too well. Right. And then, uh, you know, the Bruins' uh, last finally turned it on after a pretty brutal start. And uh, he, he tagged Jonas Gustafson behind him, who's played, I, I might add, pretty well for the Bruins. Uh, you know, they had that, going into the season, they had a, a, a backup goalie battle, really, where they had four guys that really could have taken the spot. Uh, I really feel like Zane McIntyre out of uh, out of North Dakota last year. I think he would have had a really good shot to win the Holy Baker had it not been, you know, for that guy named Jack Michael. So, uh, but he's still a really good prospect for the Bruins. They've got uh, Malcolm Subban down to AHL, and uh, you know they 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 ended up signing Gustafson. And uh, I wasn't too sure about it at first, but uh, uh, I, I've liked what he's done so far. But you know, and and they needed to rely on him a little bit because Rast was was pretty brutal start season. He did not start off well, but he's found his game lately, and uh, he's climbed back into things. But I think the biggest plus for the Bruins this season has been their power play. Uh, we talked about this a little before the show started. The fact that the Bruins have the number one power play in the NHL is just it's, it's mind-blowing at this point because of how bad it was a few years back. Even when they went to the Stanley Cup, I mean, it, it, you almost didn't want to see a Bruins power play because it was so atrocious. But, the, you know, they're, uh, they're working at 28.6% right now. And uh, there's been a lot of key components to that. And I think one of them, uh, probably the biggest one, has been Tory Krug. Um, I'll go out there and say it again. I think Tory Krug is my, my favorite defenseman on the Bruins right now. I think he plays such a dynamic game. Uh, obviously, he really embodies that new Bruins style that they're looking for. He's, he's quick. He's smart. He's offensively minded. He's responsible defensively. But he knows how to put the puck in the net, uh, whether it's off of his own stick or helping out a teammate. And uh, I think you kind of got to see just how much he means to the power play when he was out with that few-game injury uh, just uh, a couple weeks ago, and he was out, and they threw Zeno Chara up there, and the Bruins' power play just was pretty was pretty bad. Uh, they were failing to convert, and uh, it looked like maybe the power play was going to drop down from first in the league. But uh, luckily, they got Tory Krug back. And uh, he's, he's really just the quarterback and the key piece on that power play. 
which is interesting because you've got a guy in Zane Ochara who's got the hardest shot in the league, and you're not putting him on the power play because right. of how good Tory Krug is and the ability that he has to run it from the point. And I think, you know, that just speaks so much lines, uh, so many lines there for, for how good of a player Krug is and how much that power play relies on him. And then on the flip side of that, you've got the Bruins penalty kill, which has historically been pretty good over the last few seasons under Claude Julian, like I said, playing a defensively first, uh, defensively minded game, rather. But uh, it really struggled to start the season. Uh, you know, they, they were in the bottom of the pack there on the penalty kill, but uh, they've gotten much better now. I want to say they're up to eighth in the league, yeah, at 82.4%. Uh, but, you know, that was something that needed a little time to shake up, and, and a part of that is is the offseason, uh, all the stuff that happened there at the end. They lost some key penalty killer guys. As, you know, Daniel Pye was a key piece there, Gregor Campbell. They lost some big PK guys, and that, uh, that definitely hurt them. Because, like, Chris Kelly injury early this season has hurt them. But uh, luckily, uh, you know, partially due to, to the Rask getting back into his own game, but uh, that's, that's kind of a little bit better for them. So I think uh, the, biggest, the biggest focus for them right now is just consistency because, uh, you know, they, they proved in that November-December streak that they are a team that has talent, uh, a lot of young talent at that with guys like David Pasternak and, you know, that whole crew. But, uh, you know, they need to find consistency because, you know, they, they were so good at the point it looked like nobody could beat them there in, in November and December. But then, uh, you know, they finally beat Montreal, which was, which was big for them and, and was, uh, I think, a big turnaround in their season. But then, you know, you head into the Winter Classic and they just get embarrassed. So I think they just need to find a little bit of a rhythm. I think they're still a team that's finding their identity. I think they've got a lot more of it than they had at the beginning of the season. But they just need some consistency out of them. Yeah, I wasn't going to touch on the Winter Classic. I knew that would be a, a painful subject. <laughs> I was going to let that one yeah, go. Yeah, I mean, it was actually, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was that was actually what my last article over at the Hockey Writers was about. Uh, my, the name of that article was uh, The Winter Classic was Montreal's Perfect Storm. And, uh, you know, I guess we can talk about it, but it's <laughs> as painful as it might be. But it, it really was brutal. I mean, uh, you know, they finally beat Montreal, uh, you know, just a couple weeks before that. And you're thinking, okay, they finally, you know, they got that one out of the way, heading to the Winter Classic. Maybe we've actually got a chance against them now at home. You know you're going to have the fans behind you. And then... Uh, all of a sudden, things just started falling apart. You saw David Krejci go down, and then the game before, uh, you see Brad Marchand take the penalty, and then, uh, or not the penalty, I suppose, but get the suspension. And, you know, all of a sudden, two of your top four scorers are out, and uh, it was just a, it was a very different Bruins team taking the ice at the Winter Classic. Uh, you know, uh, they were struggling offensively, obviously. Even, even Colin Miller, who we talked about uh, a little bit earlier, my man, uh, he was he was down. Yeah, he was down in the AHL, which he said he flat out said sucked. And uh, honestly, I didn't really understand that move. I, I would like to keep him up, especially when we're mission guys like Marshan and Krejci. I'd like to keep somebody like Colin Miller, who's got the offensive talent up there. So I didn't really understand that move, but it was just you know the Bruins were half of an AHL team looked like out there, and they they looked like they came to watch more than the fans did. And then on the flip side of that, you had Montreal, who was uh, getting guys back. They just had uh, Gallagher, Gallagher and then right. uh, you know Mike Mike Talent, uh, Mike Condon playing in his hometown game because he's uh, he's from Boston. Which let me and, let uh, me jump in the there. Uh, one thing one thing I didn't like, and I, and I know he's from Boston <laughs> and whatever, but uh, 
You know, showing up with Tom Brady on your freaking goalie mask if you're playing for the Canadians, I uh, just hit me wrong. I didn't well, like that's that. That's exactly what I was trying I to I didn't like that yeah. at all. You know what I'm saying? That's the uh, no, don't and do you that. You know, we had Belichick on there too, and yeah. Belichick was the guy who was on the ice with Claude Julian, wishing him luck before the game. They had all the footage of uh, of Belichick, obviously the coach of the Patriots. Uh, you know, skating around with uh, Claude Julian before yeah. uh, the game, and you know, talking about that, and Julian was wearing the Belichick style hoodie. But, you know, I mean, the flip side of that, you've got him, uh, you know, wishing Mike Conner luck. And sure, he's a hometown boy, but it was definitely a little weird feel. And, yeah. you know, he had a lot to play for, especially after having a pretty bad month of December. I mean, when the Bruins, uh, when the Montreal was playing bad, Terry Price was out and Condon had like an 80 save percentage, something like that. Like, it was, it was bad. Yeah. So he had something to prove there. And, uh, you know, Montreal's a old after that bad streak. And, you know, clearly they're a team that has talent and uh, that can really do a lot, but, uh, you know, they had something to prove after that terrible month of December, and, uh, you know, there was no better turnaround point than a Winter Classic, especially on the road in Boston, just be able to shut up that entire crowd, and uh, definitely definitely tough to do with Bruins fans, uh, you know, given how rowdy they are, but they had a, a really good opportunity to turn their season around. Chris, let me turn it over to you. We've got a couple minutes here before our next break. Uh, I know you wanted to jump in on a little bit of the the Louis Erickson UFA, and that's more your more your ball of, ball of wax there about cap hits and I do, stuff but like I got, that. I got two. I got two quick hits before then. Okay. Got a couple minutes. So I'll start off with this one first. The Bruins are off to pretty good start. Twenty fourteen and four at the time of this podcast, forty four points. But their numbers do not add up. They're third in the league in terms of goals scored per game. They're 11th in the league in goals against per game. They have the number one power play and the number eight penalty kill. That, those stats indicate of a team that should be a lot better than their current record. Am I going out on a limb saying, Cam, that uh, they're really struggling in one goal games in terms of uh, getting those wins? The only no, you're, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And that's where the consistency issue comes up again because, like you said, they've got that good rank. They are... Uh, Obviously, the number one power play in the league. They've got uh, the top, uh, the number five in shots per game. The number three in uh, goals per game. And yet, you've got a team here that's that's kind of on the bubble of the wild card at this point. And you know, granted, they do have a couple less games played than pretty much everyone in their division. I think they've got like three less played than Montreal right now. So uh, you know, they still got room to climb a little bit more. But uh, you know, they they definitely need to become a more consistent team if they really want to make a run in the playoffs. All right, well, let's... Uh, and I got another quick... Okay. Yeah, let's pick it up afterwards. We're 10 seconds out, Chris. So uh, give us a minute. Right, we'll it. be right back. Hello, hockey fans, and thanks for listening to the Vegas Hockey Podcast. Make sure you check out all our episodes on SoundCloud, iTunes, and HockeyTalkRadio.us, the Internet's first 24-hour day, seven-day-a-week, all-hockey-talk radio format streaming station. Check it out. All right, hockey fans, we're back. We're going to go one more. We're taking it one segment longer than usual. It's uh, getting some pretty good pretty good Bruins stock going here. A lot going on today in the around, the around the league with all the trades we had to cover. So, Chris, I know you, we had, we had one, you had one more hit you wanted to get to before we talk about Louie and whether he's going to be back in Boston next year. So take it away, brother. Yeah, I, I mean, it's just a comment of how strange of it is that the Bruins are 9-11-2 at home. 
place where the Bruins over the uh, historically have been so tough. And yet they're road warriors. They're eleven three and two. I mean, it's really head scratching when you say Cam. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, like you said, Boston historically is supposed to be a tough uh, town to play in. You know, road team is always a uh, drag on the Boston, and that's just not the case right now. Like you said, they got a, a four twenty nine home win percentage matched with a seven thirty three away winning percentage. So really, the only reason they're in the mix of things right now is because of how much they played on the road. I mean, uh, you know, for a team that's fighting for a playoff spot to have a, a, a four twenty nine home win percentage, that's pretty rough. I mean, that doesn't get you into the playoffs. Uh, they're they're right now they're uh, in the bottom four for home winning percentage alongside Columbus, Buffalo, and San Jose. I mean, you look at Columbus and Buffalo, and they're bottom of the pack teams. They're not making the playoffs, and you know it's because they can't win games at home. Uh, I mean, you know, in some cases they can't win games anywhere, but you know a large percentage of that is that you have to be good at home, and the Bruins just aren't right now. It's you know there's no way to put it nicely. I mean, they've just been terrible at home, and for a place to, that you know is historically tough to play in, that's got you know, consistently uh, excited crowds and, you know, a team that's supposed to just, you know, put their opponents away at home, to just not be able to do that is, is really tough, especially when they're a playoff bubble team. And then I just have a last point on Louis Erickson. Uh, I believe this is his third year with the Bruins, if memory serves correct. And in my opinion, the Louis Erickson, the Bruins are getting it this year, is the one that they expected the last two years when they traded for. But now he's in his contract year, his walk year. He's a UFA at the end of the year. Given his age, I want to say he's, what, 27, 28. If he can, fin- if he can uh, have a set the second half like he had the first half uh, on the open market, especially, you know, there's going to be some teams that might let some of their guys go, which will open up salary cap space. I can think of the Islanders with Kyle Oposo, Franz Nielsen. Jets with Andrew Ladd, Dustin Bufflin, the Hurricanes with Eric Stoll, uh, amongst other teams that have cap space. The Florida Panthers will have cap space. He's going to get, unless he bottoms out in the second half, six and a half to seven million a year. Uh, are the Bruins going to give him? Are they going to give him that kind of contract? Yeah, I mean it's going to be interesting to see. I think a lot of that's going to have to do with uh, how the rest of this year plays out. Like you said, both for them as a team and for him as a player. But uh, as I touched on earlier, when, when he first came over, it's not that he was bad, but he just didn't have exactly what they expected out of him. I mean, uh, you know, his first season over, he had 37 points in 61, and then he had uh, 47 in 81 in 2014-15. But, you know, here we are about halfway through the season. He's already at 34 points. He's almost matched his 2013 total from when he came. And, uh, you know, he's just 13 shy of his total from last year when he played 81 games. So, uh, you know, he's he's... You know, middle age range. He's 30 years old right now. Still got you know plenty of years here that he's going to be a productive player. And uh, you know, as a as a top guy in the Bruins offense right now, it's going to be it's going to be definitely tough to see him go if they if they have to do that. Uh, especially if he keeps on pace with what he's done this year. And uh, you know, I think like you said, a lot of that's just going to have to do with how he performs, how the team performs, and just really you know once they shake things out at the end of the year. Uh, you know, how much cap space they have because I think he is a guy that they want to keep around now. I think he's proven that, uh, you know, to this point at least, that he's a consistent point getter. Uh, he's starting to, you know, develop a little bit better into the Bruins system. They've been relying on him now for, uh, you know, for goals and, and to see him walk away would be definitely tough, especially now when he's really butting into what we expected out of him, uh, when, you know, we dished him away for, uh, when we got him in, sorry, dishing away Tyler Sagan. 
So it would be tough to see him go after the end of the year. And I think you're you're about right on the uh, on the payment wise for his contract. Uh, you know, he could be a six and a half, seven million dollar guy. And then uh, you know, the Bruins have some tough decisions to make because you know historically in the last couple of years, the reason they got into so much trouble was because of the uh, the contracts that Peter Shirelli gave out. And uh, you know, I think being down extremely, it's going to be hard throwing away a lot of money because of uh, just how much it hurt him and. You know, that's really the reason that Shirelli got the boot. So I think, you know, being Sweeney and, you know, trying to protect his own job, he's not going to go on and, you know, want to throw out big contracts that maybe aren't going to turn out long-term. So, uh, you know, they're going to be in the tough spot when, uh, when the season ends and he becomes open. Is it possible that uh, he's not around at the end of the season? If he's a UFA and someone comes knocking on the door, could they move him at the trade deadline? Yeah, it's it's absolutely an option. I mean, uh, I think a lot of that, like I said, is going to have to be with uh, have to do with rather where they are in the standings. I think uh, if they're you know up there and competing for a spot, then I, I don't see them moving as much. But if they fall out, and uh, you know he's obviously a guy that's had a successful year and looks like he's going to continue having a successful year, barring injury. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see them try to try to move him, especially if they don't think they'll be able to afford him at the end of the season. Uh, like you said, we've got uh, Tory Krug becoming a free agent at the end of the season, and he's absolutely a guy they want to lock, uh, lock down. Very young. He fits the Bruins system pretty much perfectly. He's got a lot of talent, and the Bruins fans love him. So he's absolutely going to be a guy that they need to sign. And, uh, you know, he's going to be getting a pretty fat contract there, too, because of how he's played. And, uh, you know, he's, he's been such a key part, like I said, of the power play, but he's also a good defensive player. So, you know, the Bruins are going to need to lock him down. So, uh, you know, they're going to be dealing with some cash stuff at the end of the year again. And uh, Lou Erickson is going to be definitely at the heart of that. Hmm. That'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, I wanted to, I wanted to yeah. just uh, a little bit off the ice. Uh, you're, you're in Boston, is that correct? No, I'm actually just outside of Albany. Oh, okay. I was going to ask if you'd ever, had, ever gone to any of the Bruins games at the old Boston Garden. Uh, unfortunately, I did not get to have that experience. I've uh, obviously been to the new, the new garden, but uh, I have not had a chance to. I, I say I didn't get a chance to go out to the old garden. Yeah, I wanted to get. I wanted to see if you compare and contrast the two arenas. The old Boston Garden, the old Maple Leaf Gardens, the old Forum, and the old Chicago Stadium were always my favorites. Uh, uh, just, just the way the the arenas were built with the upper 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 deck right on top of the of the lower deck right on top of the action, especially in Chicago stadium in the form. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I just it wanted to make for a different uh, atmosphere. Absolutely. No, I just wanted to see about that. Anyway, Chris, you got anything else? No, that, that, that does it for me. I mean, I, I think the Bruins will be in the mix at the very end. So uh, I think it's good. I don't think that unless like get besieged with injuries, I can't see them being out of the mix, which means to me, I can't see them trading Erickson. I think if they fell out of it like mid February uh, due to injuries, there's no way I could see it because I think they're, you know, a competent team to say the least. Um, then I could see them approaching him, trying to sign him, and if it didn't go well, and then moving him for the best deal they can get. But I, I think they're too good. I think they're too good of a team not to be in the mix. So kind of puts them uh, between, uh, you know. Although having said that, they did take approach on that uh, going into the season. 
between not even just trading Lucic, but paying half his salary. Yeah. Uh, so using uh, $3 million of their cap space on this year's team and trading Dougie Hamilton for draft picks, none of which were on this team, but they did take a, uh, a forest, not the trees approach. Right. So, you know, I'll throw, I'll throw that out there. Well, that's what I was I saying. What, the, was, the kind of player that Louis Erickson is looking like he is now uh, and was before, too, but... The obviously the more aggressive offensive systems really playing into his game. You can't, you know, if I'm a GM, that kind of player has got to bring me an asset or three. Yeah, uh, they, you they know, you get can't. Wild, though. I think they would have to get wow to move him. If he, I mean, if it's even if it's one player, it, it, you know, they would have to get wowed. If they're not going to get wowed, then he's not going to get moved, even if they felt like, you know, they they were not hopeful and re-signing him. They're going to have to get wowed. Yeah, the only way that they would move him is if they're, they're definitely down and out of it, which, like you said, I, I don't think it's going to happen. I, I think they're definitely going to be in the mix of things, at least. Uh, you know, whether they actually turn up on the playoff side of the bubble is yet to be seen. And I think a lot of that has to do with how they play right now. I mean, when you're on the bubble, obviously every point counts. And uh, it's really gut-check time right now. You know why they're going on for another minute here. Sure. Uh, for the Bruins, because they, they've got... They're in a tough spot right now. You know, they they had, uh, you know, like I said, a really great month in November and in December. They got themselves back in the mix. But all of a sudden, you know, they're, they're back in a dark place right now. Uh, you know, they lost two straight. Uh, the one on a huge stage, the one a classic. Two tough losses. You know, last night they played pretty well, but they didn't have enough to get over the hump against uh, Washington. And, uh, you know, with, with David Krejci out, he's listed week to week right now which obviously is awful news for Bruins fans given how much he produces for this team. Yeah. And, uh, you know, with Brad Marchand still out, these are the type of games where it's, it's really gut-check time for these guys because if they want to really, you know, turn up on the right side of the bubble come April, then these are the games they need to win when, you know, they don't have their full lineup, but they've got to prove that they are deep enough. And I think, you know, this is when, uh, you know, Louis Erickson and guys like Patrice Bergeron, who are, are usually up there, but, you know, even missing guys like Krejci and Marchand, They've got to produce, and, and also the new guys in, in Mapolesky and Junior Hayes, you know, guys that, uh, you know, maybe have slower starts of the season, but are starting to turn it up now. This is when they've really got to prove that they were, uh, they were worth what they got rid of for. So, I mean, you know, being the Bruins fan right now, you're kind of hoping that Crazy is going to be back, and, uh, right, uh, you know, seeing he's week to week is, is tough, but, uh, you know, eventually we'll get Marshan back here, and hopefully their offensive game will kick back in a year. But uh, you know, this is this is big time for Louis Erickson right now. Now, have they have they called Colin yeah, Miller back quick, up? Real, real quick comment on the Eastern Conference. Real quick, uh, outside of the Washington Capitals, no one should feel safe and secure, and that includes the Florida Panthers, one ten in a row, about where they are in the standings. It's that tight. Yeah, absolutely not. I mean, you know, I think maybe Montreal started to feel safe at the beginning of the season. They started off so good. But, you know, all of a sudden they're back in the mix of things, and, you know, they're, they're not in the lead of the Atlantic Division right now, which is tough to believe given how good they started off. But, you know, Florida's on top of them, which is pretty special in itself because, you know, a few years ago Florida was considered one of the, you know, the jokes of the league, uh, you know, to be a little harsh with it, but they definitely were contenders. So it's definitely exciting to see them, you know, really in the mix of things right now. But like you said, they definitely have no reason to feel safe, and uh, I don't think there's really anybody besides Washington who really is safe with their playoff spot right now. Right. Now, I, I wanted to know, is Colin Miller back with the club now, or is he still in the A? Um, He was down in the AHL. I, they did pull him up, I believe. Okay. I double-checked that, but I think they did just pull him up again. 
which, like I said, I, I don't really know why they found out in the first place, uh, especially with, with Krejci and Marshand out. I feel like, you know, they want guys that are going to be offensive. And, you know, obviously with their two of their top four scorers out, you've got to rely on kind of everybody to chip in to cover that, including the defenseman. And he's one of their, you know, more offensive-minded defensemen. So I didn't really understand, you know, having him go down when you've still got a guy like Kevin Miller, for example, who, sure, he's gritty, but he's not going to put up the numbers that Colin Miller has potential to. So I didn't really understand that move in the first place. Well, that he's the reason I, I was on record saying I hated the Lucic trade. Um, he came off uh, the All-Star game last year in the AHL. He won the hardest shot and the fastest skater. And the fastest, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. for defensemen to take both those things home um, and then had a fantastic run in the playoffs for the Monarchs, um, I was like, man, this is we're losing Andre Sekera. Matt Green's getting older. Robin Regeer's retiring, and you trade your blue-chip defenseman. Uh, for another yeah, for another big-bodied forward who might get you 15 goals on the year. Um, I, 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 Chris will remember, I was not pleased about that trade at all. And uh, I'm glad to see that he, and he's talk, been. We had to talk him off the ledge. Yeah, he had to talk <laughs> me down, baby. But, uh, I mean, he's been playing with Zidino Chara first pair for a lot, a lot of the early part of the season, wasn't he? Yeah, and I think that's big because obviously from Chara, yeah, no pun intended there, playing with Chara is big, but, uh, <laughs> you know, playing with a guy like Chara, who, you, this dude's got so much to learn. I mean, Chara has been for a couple of years now one of the strongest men in the league, and, you know, he's starting to hit the downhill, unfortunately, and the Bruins have got to address that, you know, as that becomes an issue. But he's still got, you know, any young defenseman, they do the same thing with Zach Trotman when he's in playing. They want to put guys near him because they have so much to learn from a guy like Chara. So... Like I said, uh, you know, when, when that first uh, happened, when the trade with, uh, with L.A. happened there, I, I kind of read through it, and I didn't really think too much of Colin Miller because, you know, being a guy out here in Boston, I didn't hear too much of an AHL player, you know, sure. in the team system. But as soon as I started reading the stuff about him in the All-Star game last year and then just how much he did for that Monarchs team, I was like, oh, man, you know, this guy is, is not a throwing. You know, he's, he's got some serious potential. All right, got to go uh, gotta go to break you know, right there. Sorry about that. Yeah. Hello, hockey fans, and thanks for listening to the Vegas Hockey Podcast. Make sure you check out all our episodes on SoundCloud, iTunes, and HockeyTalkRadio.us, the Internet's first 24-hour day, seven-day-a-week, all-hockey-talk-radio-format streaming station. Check it out. All right, we're back. Uh, that was going to be the last one, but it's not. We come back and do one more. Finish up on Colin Miller playing with Chara there. Uh, Coming out of the A, I mean, we were talking off the air. I, I, I was on record before saying that I didn't like the Lucci's trade at all. Chris said he had to talk me off the ledge there. Um, he, with Sakara leaving for Edmonton and Regeer retiring, we, uh, I, I, you know, he was the blue chip defense prospect. We knew he was going to be, along with Derek Forbert, competing for a roster spot with a big club and winning the winning the hardest shot and fastest skater. It's not a skill set too many defensemen can bring. And, you know, a little seasoning, little little experience. Uh, I, I don't think his top end is first pair. Uh, he is playing with Char, but that's probably more of a mentoring thing. But he's going to be a solid 3-4 defenseman. So, and with, you know, if, we, if the Kings win a cup this year, then obviously great trade, of course. But uh, Lucic is UFA, and I don't see any way. I mean, he's having a great season. I don't see... Uh, salary cap wise, if you give Kopitar nine and a half million dollars, 
I don't know where Luchas's six million dollars comes from. So uh, good trade for Boston, good trade for the Kings. So um, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Uh, you know, with Colin Miller, like you said, playing up with Zidane Chara is is largely a mentor thing. Uh, they've done the same thing with Zach Trotman down there. Uh, you know, they want to get the young guys with Chara because they have so much that they can learn from. Them. And uh, you know, the reason that was such a great move for the Bruins is that, you know, like it or not, Zidane Chara is, is going downhill right now. He's heading towards the end of his career. Uh, if you've watched some of the Bruins games lately, he's just not the same guy that he used to be. Uh, he's made some, some costly turnovers that have led to some, some goals against and some losses for the Bruins. And, uh, you know, they're having to lower his ice time a bit there to keep him as effective as he was. So to have, you know, him going out, you need some good defensemen coming in. And, uh, you know, a guy with as unique a skill set as Colin Miller has, another extremely powerful shot, a quick skater, he's going to be able to cover his own zone. You know, having him learn a lot from Chara is just extremely valuable for the Bruins. Well, and, I will, I will you know, say this. I saw his Char just ragdoll somebody last week. Who, who was that? Oh God, I couldn't tell you. It was just—it was right to the right side of the net, and the guy thought he was going to get in Char's face, and he—he he gave up about. I mean, everybody does, but he gave up oh, about yeah. eight yeah, inches yeah, and forty yeah, yeah. pounds, and Char just ragdolled him. Done. Didn't even. Oh yeah. <laughs> that, <laughs> he still has something in the tank. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. He's, he's definitely still a, a top defenseman for, for any team. But, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how long that lasts because you can tell he's starting to hit the curve on his career and, you know, he's going to start heading down. And, you know, as tough as it is uh, for you know, a guy that's been the, the core of the Bruins' defense and, you know, core for their team, uh, helping them bring to the Stanley Cup home and all that, it's going to be tough to see him go. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, that's going to be something that the Bruins are going to have to face in the next couple of years. Uh, you know, not to say he's a bad player now. He's still he's still a very solid defenseman, and I think he'd be, you know, exactly that a top pairing guy for any club, obviously. But uh, you know, in the next couple of years, they're going to have to make some decisions decisions as to uh, as to their future as well as his. So, uh, you know, getting getting that experience and uh, you know, for for guys like Colin Miller or Zach Trotman or any of those guys to be able to go up there and play with Char and just see how he plays, and uh, you know, just just to suck in as much as you can want to act like fun when you're paired with him because there is so much to learn let me get your uh let me get your bottom line gut reaction bruins make the playoffs this year or no uh yeah i think so i think uh you know as sketchy as looked at first i think tuka rask has found his game obviously uh you know when he plays well he's got the potential to be one of the best goaltenders in the league i think it proves out with his visitor and, uh, you know, I think he's found his game again. I think uh, this is probably as rough of a patch as the Bruins are going to hit in these next couple weeks here, all season barring, you know, some more serious injuries. But I think, you know, they're the toughest point of their season right now. They lost that big game uh, against Montreal in the Winter Classic on, you know, a huge stage. They lost to Washington. But, you know, things are going to start turning up again. I think they'll get Brad Marchand back. That's going to help some of their uh, offensive struggles. I think, uh, you know, eventually getting David Krejci will be fine. And this is a team that's got depth and has always got a lot of youth. We haven't mentioned really some of the young guys that have chipped in for this team. Guys like Frankie Vitrano, uh, Landon Ferraro, those guys who have, who have really stepped in pretty nicely in a, in a role that they maybe weren't necessarily comfortable with being as young as they are on a team that's expected to do so much. Uh, and, you know, they, they've played really, really well. And they've become a dangerous, you know, third, fourth line there that, uh, you know, a lot of people think the Bruins didn't have the depth. Uh, that they do right now. So I think, uh, you know, all things considered, I think they've got enough depth 
to be a powerful team. Uh, I think they'll get Krejci and Marshawn back, which will obviously help, you know, being two of their top four offensive guys is going to help kickstart that. I think uh, their defense is getting stronger. They're finding an identity, and I think to go to is back to his game. So I think they uh, they will turn up on the uh, the playoff side of the bubble. Whether that's a wild card spot or a division spot is yet to be seen. So, but I, I do think they'll be all right. The only thing I you're nipping at Montreal's heels there, but the only thing I worry about as far as the wild card goes is if Tampa Bay can find their scoring touch and come up behind you, that could be a race with them right to the end. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Tampa Bay proved that they're a very dangerous team. And, uh, you know, obviously they didn't have it right in the beginning of the year, but, you know, it's definitely way too early to count them out because, you know, they are such a good team. They've got a solid backbone. They've got great goaltending with Ben Bishop. They've got scoring ability, you know. They're a team that can definitely, obviously, uh, make a run and, and really go deep in the playoffs if they find, you know, that, that same push that they had last year. And, uh, you know, just like you said, they can, they can definitely creep back into things, and I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if that happened. If they get Stamco signed up, then that would take a lot of pressure off everybody over there, I think. Um, I think that yeah, that yeah, situation absolutely. is playing out poor, more more poorly, if that's correct grammar, uh, more poorly than the Kopitar situation is. The the vibes around both those those situations are polar opposites. And it, Yo, you're, you're, you're absolutely right there because I think the feeling around Stamkos is, you know, they're not really sure what's going on. People are speculating maybe he wants out. And I think the feeling with Kopitar is, you know, there's no way this guy is going anywhere other than Los Angeles. He's a king. He's going to be a king. He wants you know, to be he's a king. He's the two Stanley Cups. He wants to be a king, and everybody knows that. He's led them two Stanley Cups. He's such a key part of their team. And, you know, as, as similar as Stamkos is to the, the, the Tampa Bay Lightning, there's just a much different feeling going around there. So I think you're right. I think that pressure is something. Uh, I think they're, they're kind of a similar team uh, of the Kings and the Lightning. And, you know, I think that, that single uh, issue has, has worked out very differently, where the stress on Tampa has maybe forced them to play a bit worse than they could, whereas, you know, in L.A., where everybody pretty much knows that Kopitar is going to be signed, I think that's helped them, and, uh, you know, they, they don't have too much to worry about. And as a result, they played really well. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. Well, well hey, I'm going to let you go. Why don't you uh, run down where everybody can find you online and get a hold of your stuff? Yeah, absolutely. Everybody can find me on Twitter at Tam Hasbrook. Uh, the last name is H-A-S-B-R-O-U-C-K. Uh, no underscores or any of that crazy stuff. Just straight up. And, uh, you know, I'm always online at thehockeywriters.com. Uh, you can find me there. I write about mostly some Bruins stuff, some college hockey stuff, uh, and then uh, also the National Women's Hockey League. We didn't really get to touch on that, but uh, that's been an exciting thing this year, being able to cover that, and their first season has been a, has been a treat, so... Uh, you can check me out there, and, and most of all, the guys, thanks for having me on. It's been a blast. Oh, no, it's our pleasure, man. You did a great job. We appreciate it. Appreciate it a lot. Chris, any final words? Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks for coming on, Cam. We look forward to having you back, maybe around uh, either right before or right after the trade deadline. Yeah, I, that'll be interesting for uh, for the whole league. But, you know, like you said, with uh, the Erickson situation, it should be interesting for the Bruins. So. Okay, well, we'll look forward to talking to you then, man. Thanks again for coming on. We really appreciate it. All right, thanks for having me, guys. All right, we'll talk to you soon. See you later. Man, Boston Bruins hockey, alive and well. Yeah.
that was a great show. Looking forward to it. Uh, went longer than we expected, but when you know, don't mind shows that go longer than I expected when they're really good. And I think that was yeah, no worries cool. talking hockey. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I hope everyone enjoy. I hope everyone enjoyed it, and uh, hopefully we'll have another great show next week. Well, we're going to talk about the Florida Panthers and uh, our old friend Matt Pryor coming Matt back. Pryor back. Yeah. Big yeah, time. Yeah, because, uh, you know, you win 10 games in a row, you, we got we to gotta talk about you. We so. got to talk about you. Absolutely, especially in Florida. Yeah, no question about That's it. That's right. I want to talk to him, too, about the the bailout deal they just signed with Sunrise, too. It looks like they're going to be staying put for the next eight years. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that was definitely a worry for them. So, I think... You know, maybe maybe that's even helped with their play. Who knows? But they they turned into a good club here. So you know what? It's not and, coincidental. Uh, you know, uh, once that vote, uh, you know, the city the the city voted to approve the funds and whatever. However, that went down. But uh, it's not coincidental. They went on this winning streak right about the same time that went down. So funny funny things. Yeah, and obviously the fan support is there. Was getting Yager in the All Star game. That's that's huge. I mean, that's a pretty nice capstone for him. Uh, oh yeah, as old as he is. But I mean, tell you what, the guy can produce. Oh, he dude, he had a laser beam. He had a laser beam last night. Oh my gosh, <laughs> laser dude, beam! He's, he's unbelievable. Uh, it's been a treat to watch him play for sure. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, all right, guys, I'm gonna take off. I got to get some dinner down my gullet. Uh, you guys, I mean, we're looking at ten o'clock East Coast time, so uh, we're gonna we're gonna let everybody go. And uh, well, thanks everybody for tuning in. Make sure you look up Cam on Twitter and and the Hockey Writers. Uh, Retweet his stuff. He's got good stuff going on over there. And, guys, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you guys so much. All right. And we're gone.